Hello, and welcome to this special episode of the Land of Goshen podcast. This episode is part of our Answer series, where we'll be considering together some of the questions regarding Christianity and the Gospel. We hope this series is helpful to you along with the regular sermons from Goshen Presbyterian Church. For more information on Goshen Presbyterian Church, please visit GoshenPCA.com. That's GoshenPCA.com. Today I thought we'd take a look at something a little bit different from what we've looked at in the past, and that would be to handle some of the objections to Christianity that are out there. I wanted to look especially at the question of evolution. Uh, This is one of the more popular objections to Christianity. Uh, This and the next episode come out of an article I read about two famous uh, figures in the Internet who essentially left the Christian faith. And uh, they're not religious experts. They don't claim to be. But it was interesting reading the article and reading their objections. And one of the things that uh, got them was they read about evolution and decided, I buy that. Now, I know there are Christians who do believe in evolution, and they don't see that as a challenge to their faith. However, the problem is that if you believe we evolved, then you have to disbelieve, at some level, the very opening chapters of Scripture. And if you open a book and you don't believe the first couple of pages... I'm not sure what would keep you reading. Uh, The other problem is that if you say you believe in Jesus but don't believe in evolution, you actually have a problem with a lot of what he said. Uh, Jesus cited the opening chapters of Genesis and the creation account as being authoritative, as teaching the truth. So if you believe in Jesus but you don't believe the creation account then you're kind of stuck. You have two beliefs that are contradictory. Now, some Christians are, they just don't realize that or they're okay with that, but the point is they shouldn't be. They should recognize, hey, wait a minute, there's a problem here. Now, as I get started, I need to admit up front, I am not an expert in science. I went to college and studied psychology and Bible, double major, Master of Arts in Theological Studies, Master of Divinity. In other words, a whole lot of theology is what I'm saying. However, I'd like to make the point right off the bat that I can still approach this topic, and in fact, we need to take care of one of the chief objections that evolutionists raise against creationism, which is that all the experts in the field believe in evolution. Now, at a certain level, that's true. Your leading biologists, your leading astronomers all believe in an old universe and that we evolved by chance. However, if you've done any reading on creation, you know that there are institutes that defend the idea of creation, which are led by men with master's degrees and doctorates in the fields of biology, geology, astronomy, who do not believe in evolution. And they got their degrees from secular, state-run schools or secular private schools, which uphold evolution. And yet they themselves do not believe it. So the idea that just because someone has studied science means they're an evolutionist is false. 
you will in fact meet non-evolutionist, six-day creationist scientists. Uh, I myself have met an astronomer who is a six-day creationist. This is a man who works in the field. He studies all the same data that his secular counterparts do. He has a PhD. Now, if you're wondering, well, why don't I hear from them? Well, let's remember something. In order to hear from a scientist, they have to be given an outlet. Uh, otherwise, they can just publish in a creationist magazine, which is what most of them do, or appear on creationist videos. And you can find those if you Google it. You'll find people who've done that. Uh, but if you're wondering where's the peer-reviewed article presenting a creationist standpoint, you're not going to find that for the simple reason that it is peer-reviewed. In other words, the prevailing theory of the day is evolution. And obviously evolutionists consider creation to be junk science. Uh, they don't believe in it because it does have a religious component, and to them anything which has a religious component cannot be considered scientific. In other words, I've read the Bible, I believe there's a God, and I make my assumptions about data based on the presupposition that the account in Genesis is true, which is not a bad thing to do, by the way. All scientists have presuppositions. Uh, when a secular scientist sits down with his data, he makes the presupposition that there is no God, and he must evaluate his data based on chance. This despite the fact that many evolutionists have acknowledged the world looks designed. Especially DNA looks very designed. Uh, some even have said it looks like the universe is trying to trick us. It happened by chance, but it wants to look like it was designed. So that's a funny admission. But they admit their presupposition drives them and governs their interpretation. So both of us are making presuppositions and are interpreting the data in light of the way we view the world as a whole, and that is a fine and fair thing to do. Uh, they used to tell us at my seminary, biases are not bad. Bad biases are bad. If you, what you assume is true, you will interpret the world correctly. So, since we have two different worldviews, the peer-reviewed journals are obviously not going to give a voice to those who undercut their essential worldview. They're not going to publish anything by a creationist defending creationism for the simple reason that they don't want people reading that. Now, please don't understand, I'm not saying there's some vast conspiracy. I'm just saying this is how publishing works. Um, the same is true of Christian publishing houses. You're not going to go to Zondervan and have them publish a book proclaiming that there is no God. You're not going to go to Presbyterian and Reformed Publishing Company and get a book published on why Presbyterianism and Reformed theology are wrong. Obviously, those presses exist to further a certain point of view, and they're not going to willfully publish something that counters their point of view. So I'm not sitting here spinning a conspiracy theory for you. I'm just explaining that's how the world works. And since in the realms of biology, evolution is the reigning theory at the moment, you are not going to encounter in the mainline media of biology or astronomy or geology any sort of information that would back up creationism, at least not intentionally. Uh, we can find data in 
evolutionary articles that contradicts their prevailing theory, and that does help us. But they're not going to come out and publish an article saying creationism is true. All that to say, the idea that when someone says to you, all the experts agree, that first is false. There are people who disagree, people with expertise in these fields, who do not accept evolution by chance. Uh, even if they're not full creationists, you do meet people who believe in intelligent design. The idea that, okay, maybe we evolved, but God did it. Uh, my, prob my answer to that, by the way, is very simple. If you believe in God, then you can believe his word, and his word tells us we didn't evolve. Case closed. That's pretty simple. You know, if you're going to believe in God, believe the whole thing, not half of it. So we have to remember there are experts out there. You don't have to be afraid of the fact that there is a scientific community that wants evolution to be true and enforces that belief. Now, on to some of the more scientific arguments. Uh, one of the prevailing arguments is that our DNA shows evolution. Uh, often you'll hear citations about how much DNA we share with primates. And that one just was never very convincing to me because I sit there and I scratch my head and I go, of course we share a great deal of DNA with primates because we're built like primates. In fact, if you're just categorizing us not as spiritual beings but as physical beings, we could be classed with primates. Uh, I wouldn't do that because we are spiritual beings. My point is, if you're just looking at my body, I've got a head, I have arms, I have legs, I have a torso, hips, shoulders, rib cage. I have all the makings of a monkey or an ape. That's because we move in similar fashion. We stand more upright. Our locomotion has swinging arms rather than using them for support. You know, there are distinctions, sure. But we are quite similar in physical makeup. Of course we're going to have similar DNA because if you have similar machines, you're going to need similar instructions to build those machines. You're going to have similar instructions on how to operate those machines. I, my dad was a house painter for a while. He also studied uh, architecture and tried to learn how to do architectural drawing when he was younger. I've seen blueprints, you know, my grandfather and my mother worked in realty. I've seen outlines of houses. All houses have similar looking blueprints. The blueprint of a house, the blueprint of a skyscraper are going to have many similarities for the simple reason that they're both buildings, they both serve similar functions, and while there are distinctions, those distinctions are going to be more of degree than of kind. They're all going to have foundations, floors, ceilings, roofs, walls, windows. They're all going to have that. So I would expect to see similarity. And again, this is where your uh, presupposition comes in. The secular scientist already believes that we evolved from a common ancestor as apes. So he expects that this common DNA proves that. I believe we were both created by a wise God. So I expect 
to see commonality of design. Lo and behold, we both interpret the data our own way. Now, this doesn't mean the truth cannot be determined because we have to ask, where did we get these presuppositions from? And we'll get to that a little later. But all that to say, seeing common DNA doesn't help. In fact, the whole presence of DNA doesn't help the evolutionary design because DNA is information. And I have a book in my library called In the Beginning Was Information by, I believe, Dr. Werner Gitt. He is an information scientist. That is a field in science, and he is a six-day creationist. And one of his arguments for six-day creation is, guys, DNA is information. And you can argue the chemistry of it all day long. Information falls under the field of information science. And one of the laws of information science is that if there is information, there has to be a sender. In other words, you can't get instructions out of nowhere. You can't sit down and randomly throw objects at a keyboard and get an instruction manual for your television set. You can't sit down and throw Scrabble tiles against a wall and let them scatter on the floor and somehow get a repair manual for a car. Even if you were given infinity, that would not happen. Uh, some people think it would. They think, well, given infinity and infinite tiles against an infinitely large wall, sure, it did occur. No, no, it wouldn't. Sorry, that's a notification on my phone. No, it would not happen, and here's why. It wouldn't happen because what's being committed is called the gambler's fallacy. Uh, in the gambler's fallacy, you think that something has to occur because there's a 1 in 10 chance uh, we've tried nine times and it hasn't happened. This is the tenth time, so it has to happen. The problem is that every time you try, there's a one in ten chance. That doesn't mean that every tenth time it will occur. Every time I roll a die, there is a one in six chance for the number one to turn up. But I can roll a die six times and never see the number one. I can roll it 12 times and never see the number one because every time I roll the die, I've got a one in six chance. All that means is there are six possible outcomes of which one is one. The chance of complex information being randomly produced is one in a number so astronomically large that statisticians consider it impossible. In other words, no matter how many times you try it, it can't happen. In an infinity of universes, it will not occur. Given infinite resources and infinite chances, it shall not ever happen. It just won't. So the very fact that DNA exists, and not only in humans, but in plants, fungi, bacteria, there's, it's related RNA, I believe, is in viruses, which are so simple they're not even classed by many scientists as living things. All that information, 
a mountain. No, it could not happen by accident. It's just not there. God wrote the information of the universe. And indeed, I saw a documentary once talking with one of the men who'd studied the human genome. He left science and he joined the Anglican Church. Now, I don't know if he's a creationist. I don't want to put words in his mouth. But when he left, they asked him, why would you leave science after working on such an important project and seeing it to fruition? Why become a priest? He said, I realized when I looked at DNA and we decoded it, that I was reading the handwriting of God. And he dedicated himself to bigger questions. Even a scientist had to admit, a man who wasn't looking for religion, wasn't looking for God, when confronted with DNA, when confronted with information, recorded in ourselves, information adequate to design and run a body. He just had to shake his head and say, Behold, God wrote it. So when someone comes to you and says, Oh, well, DNA could have been cut and pasted, bits of the genetic code might have broken off and gotten reduplicated and used for other purposes... You can't cut up a dictionary or a million dictionaries and throw their words in the air and get a novel. You can do that forever. You're not going to get Pride and Prejudice. It's not going to happen. The same is true of DNA. The odds of that occurring are impossibly low, not to mention where did the original DNA come from? Where did the original strand with the original information come from? How could chemicals randomly align themselves in a fashion to be informative? And then how did they assemble around themselves the complex machinery necessary for the function of a cell? They couldn't. Evolution assumes an impossibility and then builds on that. Now, moving on, let's talk about some of the presuppositions. We have to remember that when we're dealing with the presuppositions, the question is, which set of presuppositions is right? As I acknowledged earlier, when I study anything, I do so based on my assumption that Genesis is true. I do so based on the idea that there is a God and he created the universe in six days, recently. Uh, creationists even debate the exact time frame, 6,000 years ago, 20,000 years ago. Look, I'm, I leave that to other people. All I know is it wasn't billions of years ago. Evolutionists, they interpret the data based on the assumption that there is no God and everything happened by chance, and chance requires a very long period of time, so the universe is very old. Now, you may say there's no way to tell without evidence which set of assumptions is right. Here's the thing, though. 
you can evaluate a set of assumptions to determine if people are really using it consistently. In other words, does their worldview, the way they view everything, hold together? And what you find in the case of evolution is it does not. For instance, I believe in a rational creator God, a wise God. As it says in Proverbs, wisdom was with him from the beginning. So when I look at the world and see design and information and consciousness in human beings, even a limited ability of reasoning, a limited consciousness in animals, I'm not shocked. I expect that if a conscious being created the universe, that it would contain consciousness. I believe in the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I believe that they have existed, one God, but three persons, forever, from eternity that way. And so God has always experienced relationship within himself. The Father relates to the Son and the Spirit, the Son to the Father and the Spirit, the Spirit to the Father and the Son. And so I expect in the world around me that there should be relationships. And lo and behold, I find them. Relationships give rise to morality, ethics. God has always interacted with himself properly, rendering from each person of the Trinity to each person of the Trinity what is their due. When he created man, he established relationships on that model. In other words, justice Fairness, equity, obligation, those things are inherent in the fundamental nature of reality. Because God exists as a trinity, ethics must exist. It is not optional. God didn't just make up morality out of whole cloth. He was explaining how he lives and therefore how we ought to live rendering to each what is due among ourselves, paying respect to him, giving to him what is his due, and also respecting his creation because it is his property ultimately. We are but the stewards, the caretakers of it. And this includes an obligation to truth. Truth is the expression of God's knowledge. And I am obliged to acknowledge it. I am obliged to submit to it because it is from God. That's a lot to take in, but can the evolutionists do the same thing? First, can they assume consciousness? Actually, they can't, and many assume that consciousness is an illusion. Which, by the way, can't happen because if you have been fooled about being conscious... You must be conscious, in some sense, to be aware of the fact that you have been fooled. You may need to rewind that and listen to it again. I know that's a bit loop-de-loop -loop there, but it's similar to Rene Descartes, I think, therefore I am. Uh, Augustine said it better, if I'm fooled about my own existence, I must exist in some form in which I am being fooled. If I'm not actually conscious, then I have to be conscious to be aware of the fact that I'm not conscious and that it's an illusion. So you end up going around the bush and you realize this is a self-contradictory statement. You cannot say, I am not conscious, because I am conscious of the fact that I am not conscious. It's nonsense. It's, 
To say it's false is to give it honor and dignity it doesn't deserve. It is, in fact, nonsense. So you have consciousness, but they can't explain it. Philosophers debate it. Scientists go about the loop, beating every bush they can to find the origin of it in the brain, and they cannot find it because it's not there. Science, physical science, cannot explain consciousness because the unconscious elements of the world cannot produce a conscious mind. It simply cannot be done. Now that calls everything into question. If you can't explain the mind, if you can't explain consciousness, then you cannot explain the laws of reason. You cannot explain why I should believe what my reason, what my consciousness tells me. You cannot explain why I should trust my senses, why that is a reasonable and rational thing to do. If I am not truly conscious, then I am but a machine. And how do I know the machine has been calibrated properly to take in information and put out accuracy? And the answer is you can't. In fact, Richard Dawkins, in his book, The God Delusion, admits that. He says evolution is accidental and has not programmed us to know the truth. He says that's why so many people believe in God. They've just been misprogrammed. Well, Dr. Dawkins, if we have been misprogrammed and cannot know the truth, why should I believe in your theory of evolution? Is it not as subject to fault and error as the theory of creation and that there is a God? Essentially, you're left in a scenario where there is no truth. You can't know anything. But then you know that you can't know anything, and you would know, if this were so, that that were true, which means you can know something, and we're right back to contradiction. By the way, this is not mere semantics. Some people will say, oh, you're just being picky. No, we're getting down to the root of the matter. If you're doing science, you are assuming that your mind works, that it can understand truth, and that your senses are adequate to take in truth, and your reason is adequate to process it. Those assumptions work if you believe that you were created and designed by an intelligent creator. They do not work if you believe that you are an accident and that you are composed only of physical elements. I can fiddle with a tin can all day long. I cannot make it think. We have built complex computers that boggle the mind. They have not attained consciousness. They will not. They cannot. So when the evolutionist approaches the world... Sorry, again, a notification on my phone where I'm recording this. When an evolutionist approaches the world and tries to look at the information, they find out it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. They think they can explain the world, but they can't explain how they got their explanation. They can give you a finished product, but they can't tell you how they began. Now look, if you give me a cake, and you can't give me the recipe for the cake, I'm going to assume either, one, you didn't bake the cake yourself, you got it from the store, 
or two, I really shouldn't eat this cake? Because if you made it and you don't know the recipe, I don't know what you've done to it. How did you end up with a cake? What is in this thing? I probably want to stay away. It ain't healthy. Of course, one could make the argument cake itself is not healthy, but that's beside the point. And in fact, when we start looking at the finished product of evolutionary theory, we see where the presuppositions have failed the evolutionist. We see where they begin to break their own rules. Uh, in the book by Paul Little, Know Why You Believe, he has a whole chapter where he deals with the question of evolution. And he has an evolutionist talking to one of his students, and again, an evolutionist, at least as I recall the chapter. And he says, do you understand that if you believe in evolution, you have to believe that scientific law has been violated at some point, and you take that as a matter of faith? Because all scientists acknowledge that life does not come from non-living things. That is still a scientific law. Life comes only from life. But evolution presumes that once, somewhere, somehow, non-living things became a living thing. They organized themselves into a living thing. That's impossible. But they have to believe it. They have to believe that this DNA somehow built a nucleus around itself without having built any of the machines to build a nucleus, and then would have had to build the machines and hold them together before it built the snowball. My apologies again. This is, let me turn on my do not disturb. I should have done that at the beginning. Sorry, new at podcasting. All this to say, though, there's such a list of impossibilities, and then you watch the documentaries and you listen to them. And actually, the thing about the nucleus came from me watching uh, Carl Sagan's Cosmos, the original version. He does this little animation where it shows everything evolving, and it starts with the DNA, and suddenly there's just a nucleus and then a cell. And I'm like, you didn't explain how that happened. You haven't shown me an animation of things evolving you showed me impossibilities followed by, well, once we assume the impossible, we can get away with anything. It doesn't work. And once you watch more documentaries, I love astronomy. I love to watch documentaries on astronomy. I love planets and stars and nebulae. I mean, the sizes of planets, the sizes of black holes, the sheer massive magnitude of the universe... Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. I love it. People ask me if we're the only life in the universe, why did God make it so big? He's God, and he wanted us to understand that he's even bigger than that. Sometimes God just shows off. I'm convinced of that. He displays his glory for us. But I listen to them talking about the theories of an old universe, one video, I think it was PBS Space Time, said, we can show you, here's everything we know about the Big Bang. And in the middle of all this certainty, and we know this to be true, suddenly they said, well, there is this thing that happened where the universe suddenly expanded drastically and we have no idea why. And I thought immediately, hold it. 
you just said that you were certain of the history of the universe to within a second of its beginning. And now you're telling me that a massive event is supposed to have occurred and you have no idea why. That means you don't know the full history. Something occurred that you don't know. And that means your whole timeline doesn't make sense. You might have to rewrite your whole theory. So why should I accept it? Why should I doubt the word of God in favor of a theory that has not been established yet? That's missing a key and vital piece of information. I saw another documentary, uh, Nova, I believe this time, on Jupiter. I just wanted to know what Jupiter was made out of. I'm fascinated by gas giants because I'm like, how do you differentiate the atmosphere from the core? We say Jupiter's big, but isn't it mostly just atmosphere? Is there a solid core under there? You know, and everyone's like, well, we don't really know because we can't, we think there is, but we've never been able to get a good look at it because there's too much gas. You know, it just, you know, that's probably silly and me quibbling, but, you know, similar to is Pluto a planet or a dwarf planet and everyone gets riled up. Now, how can we say Jupiter's that big? Do we measure the atmosphere of Earth as part of Earth? You know, inquiring minds want to know. But anyhow, this thing on Jupiter said that the inner planets, including Earth, could not have existed without Jupiter having a certain orbit early in the life of the solar system. Now, I didn't hear anything that caused me to say, aha, I see the flaw in your theory, but it did make me think, even if I accepted the timeline you're showing me, you're admitting that every other solar system we've been able to observe doesn't have this scenario, and they're gushing about, oh, how unusual it is that we would have life in our solar system because of this unique location of a gas giant. I'm like, guys, even if I bought what you're selling, I would have to conclude that there's a God because it's a miracle that we're here. And again, if I accept that there's a God, then I must accept his word. I can't have it both ways. And so you see, the finished product falls apart right in front of you. You're being sold something that assumes the impossible, tries to excuse the impossible by invoking time and chance, neither of which give an adequate answer, and then presumes things that are so preposterous that they make turning water into wine and walking out of your own tomb <laughs> look small almost by comparison. Of course, resurrection is never small when you understand the miracle that life is, but it, it's like that. It's easier for me to believe that a Galilean raised the dead. It's easier for me to believe that a loving God answers prayers, then it is for me to believe that a whole host of impossible chances happened with no divine being to direct them. In fact, it's not only easier for me to believe, it's the only rational belief there is. You're going to get challenged by evolution. 
You're going to hear about it because it is the prevailing theory. Here's what you do. Approach evolution with the same skepticism that evolutionists use when they approach creationism. Look at it and say, prove yourself. Because remember, I'm proclaiming the word of God. And the word of God says you're supposed to have faith. God tells us, look, I'm smart enough to know how the universe works, and I haven't told you everything, just trust me. And even then, he has given us adequate evidence, eyewitnesses to the resurrection. I could go into all that, but that's a different episode. Evolutionists are saying they're preaching science, which is falsifiable and provable. So you're fair to look at them and go, okay, prove it, demonstrate it, recreate it. And if they can't, it is fair by their own standard for you to say, no, I do not accept this explanation. So remember, when you're dealing with the theory of evolution, you don't have to capitulate. You can look at the evidence and you can see the failure of their presuppositions. They can't even satisfy their own standard. They can't answer their own questions. There's more that could be said. We could point to the fact that evolution is really two theories that neo-Darwinism replaced Darwinism because they realized Darwinism didn't work. So the theory of evolution we have today is really a matter of faith. They would not accept God, so they had to come up with a new theory. We could delve into that history, but again, that's enough for now. I hope this has been helpful. I hope it helps you approach the questions of the universe and I hope it helps you remember that when we believe the word of God, we are not checking our brain at the door. We are listening as intelligent creatures to our intelligent creator. May God bless you, and I hope this has been a help to you. We hope this episode of the Answer Series has been helpful to you. For more information or to contact us, please visit GoshenPCA.com. Feel free to send us any questions you may have. We can include them as later episodes of the Answer Series, and we'll be happy to contact you directly if you have any pressing concerns or would like to know more about knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can also follow Goshen Presbyterian Church on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We hope to hear from you soon, and please feel free to subscribe and share the good news of Jesus Christ by sharing this and our other episodes.